is episode number four of Building Optimal Radio. I am Jared Gossett, your host. Today, we are very fortunate to have on our show none other than Tom Woodcock, a nationally known branding, marketing, and selling expert. Tom's a well-known author as well as a sales and motivational speaker. Listen to what Tom has to say because I can almost guarantee you that if you implement just a few of his ideas he shares with us, you'll see immediate results on your bottom line. There's some huge value bombs in this interview. And also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you use, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whichever one. This way you get notifications of our new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Building Optimal, and Instagram at Building Optimal. Send us your feedback there. Tell us what type of content you want to hear, and we will make it happen for you. Enjoy. Tom, you speak to and train thousands of people each year on best sales practices, including training many builders. What's the biggest mistake you see builders making with their sales strategies, and what's the fix? It's really not rocket science. So many contractors and builders get caught in what I call the low bid game. They basically acquiesce and already on the onstart of any project, any sale, any transaction, get a mindset where they believe, okay, I got to be the low guy on this job. I've got to get my number down. I got to get skinny if I'm going to get this project. And sometimes they do it subconsciously and don't even realize it. They actually begin talking to the customer. And sometimes they'll lead with price themselves out of the gate. You know, make a statement like, well, yeah, traditionally a rehab project like this would run in the $50,000, $60,000 range. Let me take a look at what you have. Well, you've already put in the customer's mind the dollar range. We really do live in a country where price is advertised on a large scale in so many products in so many areas that it's almost culture in this country to lead with what's this going to cost me. The problem is you're not buying a price. You're buying the service, the workmanship, the craftsmanship, experience. There are so many factors that come in that can literally separate you completely from your competitors. People will hear this and say, yeah, I know that, I know that, but they don't know how to translate it. And that's that level of competitive separation that makes the customer say, hey, not only do I want to use you, I don't mind spending a little more to use you. And we see that evident in all sorts of products we buy. Otherwise, you know, if we had an anniversary dinner with our significant other and we were buying by price, we would always take them McDonald's for their anniversary. (laughs) But we don't. We go to that nice restaurant. We get a nice bottle of wine. We get a steak. You know, we end up dropping $200 on a dinner and we're full. Where you go to a fast food restaurant, order a number five, pay 10 bucks, and you're full. Same result. What made you make the decision to spend that extra money, choose that particular restaurant? Well, those principles hold true in the construction industry as well. And the biggest issue I face is, especially smaller companies where the owner of the company is doing much of the sales work, they haven't taken enough of an inventory of what they bring to the table and determine how to sell that upfront, how to present that to the customer upfront, that that customer's buying motive, that want is so engaged. I don't want to say price doesn't matter, but it certainly drops farther down on the sale. So. It really is finding out what worth you bring to the table and communicating that to the customer. I'm glad you say that because I think that's something that a ton of builders do struggle with. I've personally struggled with it in the past. When you mentioned that, it reminds me of this idea that I get in my head. I think we oftentimes negotiate against ourselves and oftentimes unnecessarily. And I've heard you talk about this in, in some of your presentations. Sometimes you just get the client that is completely fixated on price, 
But oftentimes for me, that's a red flag. You don't necessarily always want the client that's leading out of the gate with price because at least in my experience and with the builders I know that oftentimes will generate a lot more problems than those customers who are willing to pay for the quality and the value you bring. You're exactly right. It, it, it is always amazing that the people you discount the most to tend to treat you like a rented mule. You don't necessarily want to throw that customer right, you know, away right out of the gate. What you want to do is you, you want to throw some test balloons out there. And when someone says, look, you know, I, man, you really got to come in cheap on this. I have a tight budget. I only have so much to spend. The first thing you want to do is park that price objection. Often I'll train people to ask as an initial question when they're starting to get into discussing the project. I mean, there's a whole front end to getting that connection with the customer out of the gate that we could discuss at our time. When you do start getting the discussion about the project, the first question you want to ask a customer is, what's the most important aspect of this project to you? Nine times out of 10, the customers are going to say, I need a good price. You got to come in with a good number. I'm sure you've heard that. What you need to do at that point is allay those fears and move on to what the second most important issue is. And, and the way to do that is to look right at that customer and say, Mr. or Ms. Customer, goes without saying that we're price competitive. What's the second most important issue on this project? Now we're going to start getting into the meat of what's really driving the consumer, the customer to do this project. And it might be schedule, you know, which comes up, you know, boy, I only have so much time to get this job done. Well, let's think about that. If you've got a tight schedule, you pay more to meet your schedule. Most owners will. Secondly, they might say that, you know, there's a particular need, the need that this project is going to meet. Okay, well, what, now we're going to talk about that need and we're going to stay focused on whatever that second thing they bring up and then price begins to fade more and more out of the picture. But if that customer keeps coming back to price, keeps and just drives, drives, drives price, have an example or a metaphor in place where you're saying, Mr. Customer, if you've got this for a low price, do you think you would be getting a good value? And my favorite comment to say is, you know, do you remember what grandma used to tell you? You get what you fill in the blank, pay for. People understand that. I think every one of us at some point could say, man, I thought I was getting a great deal on great price in this. And man, what a headache. I can think of a couple of vacations I've taken that I thought I was getting a great deal. But nevertheless, the onus is on us when the customer does present that, like you're saying, that there's this price focus to take that away, to move that objection away. And, you know, we're not talking about getting 50% more than the competitors charging. You, you know, usually you're looking at, a, at an increase of, of anywhere from 5 to 15%. So the profitability for you as the contractor makes sense. Doesn't the sales agent alone, I mean, what is that person worth? 2% in the transaction, 3% getting to work with that person. What do you personally bring to the table that that person be willing to invest in? And this is the way to think going in. The problem is we get all twisted in knots when people start throwing that price objection up. And so guess what? People do it. One of the tragic things that happens to a lot of well-meaning builders in our industry is that they cut their price for whatever reason. And it's already inherently a low margin industry. So a lot of the guys end up just working for wages when they start discounting their fees or their profit margin on this. You're exactly right. And what does it say about the value you feel you or your company brings to the table when you're ready to discount fairly quickly into the process? If you're not believing your own value, well, you can't expect the customer to believe that value. And if you're not in a position that you know how, it, and I, I'll say justify, but I really do mean sell. You know, I'm not afraid of the word sales or sell. 
because all that really means is you're presenting the value you bring to the table to get a certain amount of money in response to that. So the challenge is, do you want to put the effort in doing the math to reduce your price? Or do you want to put the effort in selling the value that you bring to the table or your company brings to the table that warrants making a fair profit? And honestly, if you set a price, let's say you set a price on a project and it is that $50,000 range and you get some pricing pressure from the customer and all of a sudden you're going to lower your price to $45,000 because the customer said, hey, look, you come down five grand and you get the job. Well, let me ask you a question. What was that first price you estimated? I'll tell you what it is. It's a lie. You've lied to the customer. You violated the number one buying motive between selling agent and customer, which is trust. So therefore, you're going to be in a situation where that customer is going to be looking for places to cut costs, save money, get free services out of you left and right. When in actuality, it takes a little bit of time, a little bit of effort. And guess what? Sometimes it can be uncomfortable selling those things that separate you that cause that customer to say, I have to make this investment. And contractors, you're so right. Our industry, and you know, I've been in the construction industry for 35 years and teaching people how to sell in this industry for 35 years, and I've watched the same problem. And when the economy got tough, it got even worse. And the point is the belief in the value that you bring to the table, communicating it clearly so the customer qualifies that value to a certain level. It's not a game. It's just sales work. I want to dig a little deeper on this because I think this is really, really important for all of us to hear. You know, I think our industry is often perceived as a commodity industry because there's such intense competition. There are low barriers to entry. That's just the reality that we're facing. Almost every builder throws around pretty much the same words, quality, value, design, service, craftsmanship. How does someone truly create a unique value proposition that separates themselves from the herd? I think the most consistent things I hear that builders will say is their sales advantages is usually service. I'm going to service you better than anybody else. I'm the best out there, blah, 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 which everybody says that. People say they're going to stand behind their work. They say they're experienced, that they have good experienced people. Well, you're not selling against people that are saying, hey, our quality is terrible. We're not going to stand behind what we do. And our people, you know, some of them are uh, questionable in their own right. So (laughs) You're not getting any separation. And this is where the challenge is. And this is, you know, this is where I sit down with companies many times and work through this. I believe that you've got to sit down and quantify your own company, your own capabilities, and find six is the magic number. But if you can find two to three points that truly make you different, that truly get that separation. Let me give you some examples of that. Concrete contractor that I had for a client for a while was bidding to general contractors, lost her two best clients, about six million annually in revenue, gone. Uh, they call me, bring me in. They say, well, you know, look, we, we, we need your help. We, we don't know what to do here. And I'm, I asked them, well, how do you sell your company? And they've been in business 75 years, a generational company, which is real common. And they said, well, we tell people we've been in business for 75 years. And I go, well, what if somebody's been in business 76 years? You lose by one. That doesn't mean anything to the customer. You could be terrible for 75 years. Then they said, well, we never leave till the job's done right. Well, how many people are out there selling the fact we're going to leave halfway through and we're not we're really sure what we're going to be leaving? And then the, you know, it was a generational, it was a grandfather, a father, and a son. And the grandfather was starting to get a little ticked off at this point. And he goes, we never have to go do rebreaks and refinishes on our projects. And I go, never? And he goes, rarely. And I go, well, how rare is rarely? Well, he says, we keep files on every single crew that we have to go and correct their work. And I go, you do. I go, bring me those files. And he comes out with a file box with about 100 files in it. And I go, well, where are the files on all the projects that you didn't have to go back and do a refinish or a rebreak or correct the work? 
And he pointed to at least eight file cabinets along the wall. Well, here's your separating point. Here's your separating bullet. You have a less than 5% callback rate that's documented. So here he has this point of separation right there in his own company. We just did a little small marketing card. You know, what's your concrete contractor's documented callback rate? And they raised the bar. They raised a standard in the industry that was right there within their own company. Not only did they get one of those clients back, but they picked up two other general contractors. They had general contracting community in that market started asking concrete contractors, hey, what's your documented callback rate? And those competitors are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've never heard of that. It's like when the first touchscreen came out on phones. You know, what do you mean you just touch the phone? You don't have to push buttons. And that's what you have to look for. And I've worked with so many companies, Jared. This type of separation exists in almost every company I've worked with. And especially somebody that's gone and started a company, maybe worked in an industry and then started their own company. Why did that owner choose to do that? What did they see that they were going to do differently, do better, do more effectively? And when they get going, they tend to forget that. And price is not enough. There's room for one low-cost provider in every industry, in every market. You know, you're Southwest Airlines. Everybody tries to compete against Southwest Airlines, struggles, or Southwest Airlines eats them up because they have a machine, a low-cost machine that they've designed. Well, they're not the only airline. There's other airlines out there that, you know, their CEOs may be taking most of the money, but nevertheless... They're making money, they're out there, they're functioning in the same pool and doing well. BMW, when you know the recession hit and the car manufacturers were getting bailouts, German government didn't bail out BMW. And they're one of the highest priced vehicles on the market for that middle to upper middle class buyer. Yet they weathered the storm without having to have a big influx of cash. How'd they do that? Well, they know their value. They know how to communicate it. They know how to get their points of separation. And that's a challenge and it takes time but you got to do it. Otherwise, you're going to compete on price and be marginally successful at best. That investment that you're talking about in terms of taking the time to truly craft your message, that would the alternative, I mean, the money that you lose or the investment you make doing that pales in comparison to the money you lose when you get caught up in the torrent of price competition with so many other builders. Let's face it, we're in the construction industry, and one, one of the largest equipment or the largest equipment manufacturer in the world is Caterpillar. Their biggest competitor is John Deere. John Deere spends three times the marketing dollars than Caterpillar. But if you look at the revenue and profitability of those two companies, Caterpillar dwarfs John Deere. How is that? How's that possible? It's because they're not a discount machine. They're not selling to price. They're gaining separation, customer brand loyalty. They understand their customer and they sell to that driver that their customer has. And, you know, this isn't a commercial for Caterpillar. It's just fact. It's very rare for someone that's a cat person to move to, you know, they might have one or two pieces of equipment that are competitors, but their go-to piece of equipment is going to be Caterpillar. And the reason is they've done such a good job. You see lots of John Deere stuff everywhere. T-shirts, hats. You don't see that much from Caterpillar. But that sales technique and methodology and sticking with it, staying with it, and continuing to get that separation from their biggest competitor. And it works. It's undeniable. I heard a quote one time that says, you don't necessarily have to be better. You have to be different. Do you agree with that? As long as that difference has a perceived value. In other words, the customer sees that that difference is something that they're willing to invest in. And a lot of that value, and, and this is the mistake a lot of people, that, and I've even heard other trainers say this, 
that whoever's doing the selling, whoever the salesperson, agent, business development, estimator, whoever it is, the value that the customer sees lies in whoever's doing the selling. That's not true. You have to listen to the customer and see what they perceive as value because what you are trying to sell, that might not be the value that the customer is necessarily looking for. So what we may perceive as we're trying to sell a project, a product, and we know, man, we know when we do a a project, we use these materials, we use these systems, we use these, you know, types of craftsmen. And when in reality, the customer's like, I just want to make sure it's the right color blue. And the customer seeing that is, try being a painter. They'll tell you that, you know, they can have the best equipment, the best painters, but if that color doesn't match what the customer is wanting it to be, it doesn't matter how long the paint's going to last, how quickly the job was done, how cordial the workers were if the blue's off. And we need to listen to the customers and, and hear what they're telling us, what their perception of value is for their projects. And once you get a hold of that, very rarely will a customer move off because everybody else is, like you're saying, selling service, quality, and experience. I love what you're saying about the concept of perceived value and and being different really is only beneficial if there is perceived value in the customer's eyes. I think that that highlights perhaps another weakness that a lot of us have or we just simply don't invest the time in doing, and that is spending the time to learn enough about our customer. Who is our customer really and what do they really want? What does value mean to them? Yeah, you know what amazes me? And full disclosure, I do own a marketing firm as well. So if you don't know your customer and you don't know what you're bringing to the table that separates you, how can you start spending thousands of dollars on marketing materials, campaigns, websites, until you know that and understand that? And the best marketing consultants are the ones that'll dig into the sales aspect of your business before they even start telling you, this is what you need to do at your website. This is what you need to do with your electronic newsletter. This is what needs to be your social media footprint. And the problem is, is it drives me crazy. You'll have a sales seminar at an event and you'll have a marketing seminar at the same time. And that marketing seminar will be full. And you have a few people in the sales seminar that are construction industry professionals that say, you know what, I need to know how to sell. And point that you're making, knowing where your customer's coming from, and that comes from evaluating your failures as well as your successes. Knowing what the customers like or choose or decide about you, your company, that they want to partner with is absolutely critical to which customers you go after, how you market, and the forecasting of success that you can expect. Hey, look, I obviously believe in marketing, but I believe in marketing correctly and having it tied to your sales effort. I spoke at a university a couple of weeks ago. I spoke to the business school and, you know, obviously the marketing students are in there. You know, I guess there was probably about 1,100 students there. And I asked uh, where the marketing majors were and they all raised their hands. It was a couple hundred students. I said, all right, how many of you are taking a sales course? Not one hand went up. So these people are going to graduate from college with a marketing degree and have never taken a sales course. Not that I'm trying to sell a sales course, but what is the single most important aspect of business? If you can't sell and you don't sell, it doesn't matter how good you perform on the project. It doesn't matter how good you run your books. It doesn't matter how great you are at managing people. If you don't sell, you don't get projects. None of the other stuff matters. You can't count the money till you make the money. I, I see this cart before the horse in our industry so often, even at high levels. I mean, uh, uh, working with a $2 billion general contractor. 
same exact issues that they're facing, spending hundreds, millions of dollars on marketing. They're disappointed with the results. And that's because the sales effort is completely detached from the marketing effort. So, you know, we're hitting a lot of stuff in a short period of time, but all, all those elements related to gaining that separation through your sales effort and balancing that off in the same way in your marketing is a great one-two punch. I want to talk a little bit about marketing for a second since we're on the topic. It's, I think, a real weak point for a lot of builders because a lot of us were out there in the field or were pulled in a lot of different directions and it's easy to let it fall by the wayside. What are some of the best marketing strategies that builders should be implementing to get more quality prospects? One that you'll actually do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I mean, for me, I keep it really simple. Here in the St. Louis market, I have 15 construction clients that I work with, and they have to do the three-step marketing. And honestly, a lot of these folks have multiple responsibilities in their company. You know, they're managing their people, they're buying equipment, they're running the projects, they're estimating, you know, they're, they're wearing three or four different hats. If you get something that works that you stay with consistently, then that's the key with marketing is, yes, you got to have the right message, but you have to stay consistent with that message. So what all my clients, they're mandated to do for a social media platform where we really like LinkedIn and staying active, very active in LinkedIn. Uh, We want them to have a decent website, but not to overspend on it. And then we'd like them to do electronic newsletters that are educating the customer as opposed to just advertising. And the way we link these three things together is as you're developing your database by working with LinkedIn and connecting and connecting, connecting, you can download those contacts. It's, It's great. The service offers it for free. You download those contacts onto an Excel, dump it into your e-newsletter campaign, and then every month in front of those people, you're putting some type of informational piece about what you do, products you sell, methods you see, things you see in the industry, trends, and you're educating that customer base and you become an expert, then that newsletter connects to the website. It forms this incredible circle, marketing circle. And then past that, that we believe networking is replacing cold calling. And if you're a residential contractor, you got to connect within the areas that you're targeting for your business. And that's the chamber of commerces, the neighborhood associations. And then secondarily, if you're more on the commercial side, you want to connect with the associations and the groups that your customers are pulling in. If you just do those few basic things, you're out there actively physically networking, and then you have a good repertoire of marketing practice and you stick with that especially for a smaller builder, you're going to get the results you're looking for out of your marketing because you're going to do it. It's it's not hard. It's not incredibly time consuming. There's not a huge expense to it. And it's connected to your sales effort. If you're going to an event, you better know what you're going to say. You're going to better know your points of separation. So from a marketing standpoint, the president of marketing company killed me because she's very creative and does some incredible things. But spending, spending, spending without a purpose is exactly the wrong thing to do. I mean, paying somebody two, $3,000 a month to be number one on you know, your Google page, when there's ways to do that without having to spend that money, you know, I counsel people away from that. I really like what you're saying, especially with the networking. 
it just kind of brings to mind, it's so easy to sit behind a computer and pay for Facebook ads and nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think right, that right. in the right context, it's a great tool, but in lieu of doing what you're talking about, networking, which that's uncomfortable to do, have to always be getting out there and doing it. But you know, oftentimes the uncomfortable things are probably the things we should be doing. So what you're saying is really getting out there, networking, shaking the hands of potential clients, people that could become clients in the future and developing that deeper connection with people that you can't always get with other, well, you really can't get in any other way. There's nothing that replaces human interaction. Exactly. And the fact is now you made a great point. More and more people are sitting behind their computers trying to solve this issue. So that means those that are going out to network, you're standing out that much more. You know, yes, it can be uncomfortable, but I remember the days of cold calling where all you had was cold calling. You talk about uncomfortable. <laughs> you, <Right>. know, <laughs> you know, you're walking into a building with no idea sometimes what those people even do because you went through the yellow pages and found their name under a category. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but if you stick with it, you stay with it. You don't have to be a type A person with tremendous people skills to be successful in selling, but you have to be consistent. Have an approach and be consistent in that approach. That circumvents guys like me and, and you that we've got the gift of gab and can work a room. You can work a room without having to talk to 20 people. You can work a room effectively and meet three, four people and end up with an opportunity out of those contacts. Before we move on, I got to bring up one thing. This is just a hot point for me that you mentioned when you're talking about consistency, which I completely agree with. I think back that brings up an example of blogs. I think blogs are probably a wonderful marketing tool like so many, but so often I will go on a company's website or a builder's website and they've got the blog link and I look at it and it's literally three blog posts in total. And the last one was like, 2015 and I see a company that r right there, they got tired of it. And for me personally, I think, okay, if you're going to do that, it actually probably is hurting you You know, just take the whole blog link down if you're not going to consistently utilize it. Otherwise it almost just stale dates you and could possibly even cause a little bit of negative perception. Oh, absolutely. And you know, look, most companies can't hire marketing managers they are going to be in the face of the owner saying we got to do our blog or our newsletter, whichever version you're using. But, you know, we do a lot of e-newsletters right now. We do about 35 to 40 that we actually craft for the customers. And I've got several of my clients that have been doing this newsletter every month for seven, eight, nine years. The nice thing about the newsletters is you, re you see the readership on the backside and think about it. If you build a database of 2,500 people, and you're sending out an electronic newsletter, which is basically a blog that you're being proactive with. And you look and you, you see 20% readership or 20% open rate. You've got 500 people that are, that's 500 people. And you know what people say to me? This drives me crazy. People will say, what about the other 2,000? Are you kidding me? You got 500 people looking at your piece and you're worried about the 2,000 that didn't look at it? Who cares? How many times are you going to get a message out to 500 people and know that they've looked at that message and have the backside information of their email address that if you wanted to contact them, you could. People look, and the reason people stop doing the blogs is because, well, I didn't get any email responses. I mean, do you really email respond off every blog that you read? If I'm really interested in your company and I'm interested in what you can do and you're going to offer me a blog or an information piece and I'm going to your website, I'm going to read it. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to see what you have to say. And you're right. We face this ourselves. I mean, we're about to go through a website upgrade. And if I tweet a sales tip or something, we put that stuff on there. 
And there's days that I feel like, man, I just don't know what to say. I don't, you know, I don't know what's, and, and I will make myself do that. In reality, it, do, it does take a discipline. But if you don't do it, if you don't stay up with it, yes, it can, it can reflect poorly on you. Tom, I got to put you on the hot seat for a second. I'm sorry. <laughs> can you give us some advice that we as builders can go back and implement immediately to start seeing improvements in our business? Well, I can raise your close rate 10% right now. What I want you to do is that as you bid those 30 projects, hoping to win three, I want you to take the five projects that you really want. And if it's a situation where you've met with the customer on the front end, the only thing that's a challenge is if your stretch and your customer base spans an extremely wide area like states. But what I want you to do, I want you to go old school. I want you to take that bid. I want you to put it in a folder, have a decent presentation, and I want you to deliver that bid face-to-face. I want you to shake that customer's hand. I want you to thank them for the opportunity. And they're probably going to say, you didn't have to come by. You didn't have to bring it. You know, you could have just emailed it or, or mailed it or, God help us, fax it. I want you to take those projects you really want. You feel that, you know, you really have a reasonable shot. And, and make that personal connection when you deliver it. I make my clients do this. And sometimes it just ticks them off that they got to get in their truck and they got to go do this. But they do it. And they find that their close rate went up, they find that the customer will actually ask them questions and review the bid with them. As opposed to you just emailing that bid in, they print it off, put it on a stack of other bids, and then just look at your number. It's tough to do. If you can't do it physically, I want you to pick up the phone. I don't want you to text. I don't want you to email. I want you to make a phone call. And I want you to say, hey, John, I'm about to send my pricing information. Pull your email up. It's, can, you, can you wait for it to come through now? I'm sending it through right now. I just want to tell you, thank you for this opportunity. Well, while you have it in front of you, if you want to pop it open, let's make sure everything's covered and we're, we're quoting apples to apples. Engage with the customer on the delivering of your pricing. It's much harder to tell you to your face that I'm not going to use you than by email or worse, never calling you. You'd be shocked how that little step of shaking someone's hand when you're handing them that pricing will make a difference. Is it going to close 80% of your deals? No, but I guarantee 10 to 15% of those opportunities will close that would have never closed before. That is amazing advice. And you're the expert, so I won't argue with you, but I bet if you do that, 10 to 15% is a humble estimate. I bet it would go up even more. Well, I got to be honest with you. I've never tracked the data. I just know the success with my guys, but I'm working with them all the time. So, you know, it is higher with them, but, you know, I'm, I'm obviously in so many different markets. I, I have to <laughs> try to be realistic. Sure, sure. <laughs> Under promise and overperform. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing advice. Tom, you're a wealth of knowledge and expertise. I think your systems could probably benefit every single one of us listening. For those of us who want to find you on the web or learn more about your systems and products, where do we go? I'll tell you the easiest way to find me. You Google Tom Woodcock, I pop up everywhere. You can go to the website, my cell number, my email address is on the website, TomWoodcockSealTheDeal.com. I'm all over the country all the time. So uh, I usually return emails within 48 hours after I've been contacted. You know, I sit in a lot of hotel rooms. You know how that goes. So if anybody wants to shoot me an email, they got a sales question, I'll, I'll answer it. Not a problem. Well, you're going to be one of the headline speakers at the Austin Build Expo here in January. So I'm going to be there for sure and looking forward to meeting you and, and hearing what you have to say. 
I got a seat in the front row for you, buddy. All right. Tom, (laughs) thank you. Thanks, Jared.